I want us to consider tonight the experience of Elijah, recorded in 1 Kings chapter 19. He returned home to the palace Jezreel of the northern kingdom of Israel, and he, he went into his wife Jezebel, and he complained to her about how Elijah had called down fire from heaven and had slain the 450 prophets of Baal. Jezebel, the wicked, was not a weakling. And so she sent a messenger to Elijah with a message that essentially just said, I'm going to kill you. Now, pause for a moment and consider what we know of Elijah up to this point. In actuality, Elijah doesn't burst onto the pages of Scripture until 1 Kings chapter 17. There's not a lot recorded about Elijah before Mount Carmel. At the beginning of 1 Kings 17, he confronts King Ahab to announce the drought. He then is led by God to the brook Cherith, where God sustains him, protects him, and cares for him. From there, God leads him to a widow woman who would continue to sustain him throughout the drought. While Elijah is with her, her son dies, and Elijah raises him from the dead. And then in 1 Kings chapter 18, he, he challenges King Ahab and the prophets of Baal. They cry out to Baal all day long and to no avail. And Elijah prays to God, and God sends fire from heaven down to, to lick up the offering, the water they had poured on, the altar, everything. Burned it up. And then he slays the 450 prophets he cries out to God again until God sends rain to end the three-year drought. These were victories for the prophet Elijah. But then this happened. Think about it. He has stood up to the king. He has slain 450 prophets of Baal. And then he runs for his life from a woman. It's astounding in a way. The queen threatened to do to Elijah exactly what he had done to the prophets. He said, I'm going to do to you what you did to them. Elijah, after all those victories, what does he do? Look at 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 3 and 4. And when he saw that, he arose, read that next phrase, and went for his life. Do you know what that means? He ran for his life. He stood up to the king, slew 450 prophets of Baal, challenged the children of Israel to turn to the Lord after all of that. And then Jezebel says, what you did to my prophets, I'm going to do to you. And he runs for his life. Continue reading. The Bible says, he came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and he left his servant there, but he himself went a day's journey where? Into the wilderness. And came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die. And said, It is enough, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. Now, don't don't read over all of this too quickly. 
the Bible tells us that when Ahab fled from Mount Carmel to Jezreel, that Elijah went on foot and beat him there, ran ahead of him and got there before him. And then he receives this message from Jezebel. By this time tomorrow, I'm going to do to you exactly what you've done to the prophets of Baal. And Elijah, in fear, jumps up and he runs from Jezreel to Beersheba. Jezreel is the northern kingdom of Israel. Beersheba is the southernmost part of the southern kingdom of Judah. If you're not real sure of the geography, this is about a hundred mile run. No animal, no Lyft or Uber, no vehicle. He runs on foot 100 miles to Beersheba, and even from there, he leaves his servant there and then goes a day's journey out into the wilderness. And then, later on in this chapter, he's going to flee from there to Mount Horeb, which is at the southern tip of the Sinai Peninsula, another 200 miles so by the time it's all said and done, he's going to flee 300 miles on foot to get away from Jezebel. He left his servant at Beersheba and went into the wilderness, don't miss this, alone. Now think about it. From the man who burst onto the scene of the Bible in 1 Kings 17, We've seen a guy who had known the presence, the power, the protection, the provision, and the plan of God. He saw God use him, saw God answer his prayers, saw God get the glory and the victory. And then he literally went from the mountaintop out into the wilderness. Literally went from one of those great victories to this place of defeat. If the valley represents difficulty, hurt, grief, and or trouble, then the wilderness represents wandering, lacking direction, fear, solitude, conflict, and or despair. And often the wilderness follows the mountaintop. Do you know that we even see that in the life of Jesus? At the end of Matthew chapter 3, you have a mountaintop experience for Jesus. He's baptized by John in the Jordan River. The voice of God comes out of heaven after the Holy Spirit descends on him and God says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And from there, Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is driven of the Spirit into the wilderness where he's tempted for 40 days of the devil. From a mountaintop to a wilderness. And the same often happens in your life and mine. For Elijah, I want us to take a few moments to consider what, what he said, what he did, and how he felt while he was in the wilderness. Look back again at verse number 4. Let's look at what he said, what he did, how he felt. He begins as he cries out to God and he says, it's enough. Have you ever been at that point in life? I've had enough. I'm done. I'm through. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm overwhelmed. Some have said that even in the terms of what we would think of today as counseling, 
that Elijah gives all the components here, all the symptoms of clinical burnout. He just says, I'm done. Literally, the phrase means abundant. It's used to describe quantity, size, age, number, rank, or quality. It's as if Elijah is expressing to God, God, the work has been too stressful and the reward has been too little. I've often wondered why, after everything that happened at Mount Carmel happened and he calls the people of Israel to make a decision, why does he then go to Jezreel, where Ahab is headed the capital? And I have to wonder if Elijah was waiting to see Israel now after this big victory on Mount Carmel turn back to God. He's waiting to see if Ahab and Jezebel are going to respond in repentance. I mean, it's been obvious, hasn't it? It's been made clear that God is God and Baal is not. But instead, he gets a message, I'm going to kill you by this time tomorrow. And he runs. He's worked hard for God. He's expecting now to receive a harvest. And instead, he's, he's told, I'm going to kill you. God, the work's been hard. And the reward's been little. It's enough. He prays, take away my life. I mean, literally, he asked God to kill him. And do you know, Elijah is not the only man of God in the word of God to do this. Moses did it. Did you know that? Acts, excuse me, uh, Numbers chapter 11, verse 15. Moses, as he's crying out to God, at one of the times when he's interceding for the people, he essentially tells God, God, if you're not going to go with me, then just kill me. Just take my life. Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 14 through 18. Do you know what Jeremiah prayed? He prayed to God and he said, God, cursed be the day that I was born. Cursed be my mother's womb. And he essentially says, why didn't you just allow my mother's womb to be my grave? It might as well have been. Cursed be my father who didn't kill me the day I was born. Jeremiah prays that to God. Jonah, Jonah chapter 4, and his is an amazing story. After Nineveh repents, Jonah goes outside the city and says, God, kill me. I want to die. Can I share with you? I've been there. Elijah goes on and he says, I'm not better than my father's. Don't miss this. He focused on himself. You know, so often when we go out into the wilderness, we, we begin to focus on ourselves. And, and what, what was Elijah saying here when he said, I'm not better than my fathers? Elijah was a God-called man, and yet when he went out into the wilderness, he, he didn't see the fruit, the reward that he expected to. He looked at himself, and he essentially believes this, my life has been a failure. He blamed himself for that failure. He didn't see the work accomplished that he thought would be accomplished, didn't see the fruit that he saw, thought he would see, and now he says, it must be my fault. I've not been good enough. I've not done well enough. I, I'm no better than anybody else. And then he goes beyond that, and he says, and I, even I, only am left. That's in verse 10. He felt completely alone. And then... He says, and they seek my life to take it away. He seems fearful and frustrated because he is focusing on the enemy. 
All of these describe what Elijah said, what he did, how he felt in the wilderness. Can I ask you, have there been times or situations in your life like that? You've been in the wilderness. You've felt alone. You've lacked purpose. You've thought, it's enough. I, I, I just am done. Thrown in the towel. You may be going through a period where you lack direction. You're unsure of what your purpose is. Or if you should continue doing what you're doing where you're doing it right now. You, you sh- should you wonder if you should remain in a relationship or seek out a relationship if you should retire or find a new job if you should go back to school for some it may be a prolonged trial and you've fallen into despair where it's not just that hope is teetering but hope is gone you have no hope others are constantly battling fear because of a situation that has produced fear that you just can't shake and you're constantly afraid. For some, it's a situation that has left you with an intense feeling of aloneness. You just feel like you're all alone. All of these feelings and situations could be described as the wilderness. And it may be that you've just experienced a mountaintop. And that becomes part of it. You look back to last month or last year and the victories and the fruit and the joy and the peace that you had and the strength and the courage that you felt. And then you come into the wilderness and you look back to that moment and you go, why isn't it like that anymore? And that just adds to the grief of the current, the present time. If that's where you find yourself today, I have a Christmas truth for you. It's declared in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, which says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. You might be in the wilderness. The record of Elijah's experience wilderness is recorded for us and in it we don't just see a man out in the wilderness we don't just see a man lacking direction a man lacking purpose we don't just see a man depressed and in despair we don't just see a man alone we we don't just see a man who is defeated but the record of elijah's experience reveals that god met and helped him when he was in the wilderness and he can and will do the same for you God will comfort and help us when we go into the wilderness. How? How does God help us when we are in the wilderness? Look, if you would, at your Bibles at 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 5 through 7. Remember, Elijah's there under a juniper tree. He's just cried out to God and said, it's enough, just take my life. Verse 5 says, And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head, and he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat. How does God help me in the wilderness? All right, here it is, number one. God helped by providing him food and rest. 
After fleeing in fear, he came alone out into the wilderness and he asked God to take his life. And in that moment, Elijah was met by God. Don't miss this. Verse number 7 says it was the angel of the Lord. Often in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord identifies a Christophany, an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. And I love that this is recorded in the text. Here, Elijah's out in the wilderness. Jesus Christ himself came to Elijah, met him where he was, and ministered unto him. Man, that's encouraging to me. Jesus came to him right where he was, and he helped him. And what did it look like? What did Jesus meeting and ministering to Elijah look like? He gave him food, and he allowed him to have rest. Now, don't miss this. Um, One writer said it this way, God first ministered to Elijah's physical needs. This isn't always God's order, but physical needs are important. Sometimes the most spiritual thing a person can do is get enough rest and replenishment. Charles Spurgeon said this, The spirit needs to be fed, but the body needs feeding also. Do not forget these matters. It may seem to some people that I ought not to mention such small things as food and rest, but these may be the very first elements in really helping a poor, depressed servant of God. And so this may be the most unspiritual spiritual advice you're ever given the best thing that you may need when you're in the wilderness is to eat and to get some rest you say that's really unspiritual the angel of the lord jesus christ himself showed up and he gave elijah food and he allowed him rest read in the psalms There are several places in the Psalms when David was discouraged, when David was down, when David was depressed, and he cried out and praised the Lord for what? Giving him rest. What did Jesus declare? Matthew chapter 11. Come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. One of the most major warning passages in the epistle to the Hebrews was all about people missing the rest of God. The rest that he provides. You may be out in the wilderness today, and you may think, man, I, I really need some help. God, I need you to show up and minister to me. God, what do I need? And it may be tonight that what you need is to eat and get some rest. Number two. God helped by knowing the journey was too great. End of verse number 7. The second time when the angel of the Lord Jesus Christ himself awoke Elijah and ministered unto him, he said again, arise and eat a second time. Because he says at the end of verse 7, because the journey is too great for thee. Now remember here, Elijah is a day's journey into the wilderness from Beersheba. He's not yet continued about 200 miles to Mount Horeb. I believe that was a part of the journey that God designed for Elijah to take. He says, arise and eat because the journey's too great for you. I, I believe that God wanted Elijah to continue his track down to Mount Horeb, the Mount of God, a place where some great meetings between God and man took place in the Old Testament. And I believe God wanted to Elijah to go there, but it was another 200 plus miles to that place. 
And God knew, apart from sustenance, that that journey would be too great for Elijah. And so he prepared Elijah for that journey. I love that, don't you? God's knowledge and understanding of you, where you have been, where you are now, and where you are going, comforts and helps us. God knows where you've been. He knows what you've gone through. He knows what you've experienced. He knows the hurts. He knows the victories. He knows the defeats. He knows the failures. He he knows the successes. God knows everything about where you've been, and he knows where you are right now. Maybe as you come into this Christmas season on this Sunday night, December 11th, it's been a trying year. And maybe right now you feel kind of like Elijah, like you're out in the wilderness. You're lacking a little direction. You're lacking a little purpose. You're, you're feeling like you can't go on much further. God knows where you are right now. But beyond that, God knows where you're going. He knows what's ahead. He knows the journey that's ahead of you yet. He knows the steps that your feet are going to take in the days, the weeks, the months, the years ahead. He knows, and he meets you where you are to comfort you, to help you, and to prepare you for that journey. And that brings comfort and encouragement to our hearts. The Bible declares this in Psalm 103, 13, and 14. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Why? For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. God knows what we are. He knows what we have to offer him. And if we're honest, like the Bible is, we would have to admit it's not a whole lot. We're just dust. But friends, God knows that. Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10, Where shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. God knows where you've been, where you are, where you're going, and he meets you where you are and gives you what you need. He knows, and he helps you. Number three, notice this. How does God help me when I'm in the wilderness? God helps He helped Elijah by bringing Elijah into a personal encounter with himself. Look at verses 11 and 12. And he said, go forth. This is after now Elijah has journeyed from the wilderness of Beersheba to Mount Horeb. 200 plus mile journey that he has stretched over 40 days. Remember, how long did Israel spend wandering in the wilderness? 40 years. There's, there's a correlation here. It's a time of wandering for Elijah. It's a time of, of being in the wilderness, of lacking direction, of lacking purpose, of being alone. And God brings him to Mount Horeb, and he says, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind rent the mountain, break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. 
but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. What did God do for Elijah, who's in the wilderness when he came to the Mount of God? He brought Elijah into a personal encounter with himself. One, one scholar said it this way, God knew what the depressed and discouraged Elijah needed. He needed a personal encounter with God. There was nothing fundamentally wrong with Elijah's theology. He knew God. He knew God's truth. But at that time, there was something lacking in his experience. And he needed a personal encounter with God. And you might think, well, Elijah's in the wilderness. He needs an encounter with God. He needs God to show up in some phenomenal way. He, he needs some kind of miraculous, one-of-a-kind experience with God. And when you're in the wilderness, that might be your thought too. God, I need you to show up in some miraculous way. I need, I need one of those one-of-a-kind, unique experiences that, I, that I've heard of others having. I need you to show up in just mountain-moving type ways in my life. Maybe Elijah thought the same thing. And so what does God do? God controls a great, great wind. I mean, it says this wind is causing the rocks of the mountain to break apart. God controlled a great earthquake. God controlled a fire that burnt there uh, along the ground among the places of the mountain. God controlled these things, but he wasn't present in them. These were not the catalyst for Elijah's encounter with God. God sent them. He controlled them. He ruled over them. But that, those weren't the ways by which God brought Elijah into a, an encounter with himself. But then came a still, small voice. Very literally, the language could be translated as a gentle whisper. A great wind that breaks rocks of the mountain. A great earthquake that shakes the foundations and the crust of the earth. A fire that burns along the ground and burns up everything in its path. God controls and rules over those, but he's not in those. Those weren't the catalyst for Elijah being brought into a personal encounter with God. What was? A whisper. That was the catalyst of Elijah's encounter with God. When you're in the wilderness, you look for God to show up in big ways. And God will, at times, show up and show out in big ways, in phenomenal ways. But friends, the, the point tonight is not to neglect or discount the small ways. The seemingly insignificant ways. While you're looking for the big, the phenomenal, and wondering why God hasn't shown up, you're out in the wilderness and you're looking for God to, to get your attention, 
to shout to you, hey, I'm here to show you in your life in some one-of-a-kind, unique way that he's present, that he knows, that he's working, that he cares, that he loves you. You're looking for God to do those big things, to do the loud things, to do the earth-moving things. And all the while, you're wondering why God hasn't showed up. And all the while, God may already be whispering in your life. Don't miss it. Look for it. Listen for it. It can be in some very simple things. It may be through simple time in his word. You're out in the wilderness, but you're still taking time to spend time with God, to worship him. And it may be during one of those normal times of spending time in the Word of God that God whispers to you. And you have an encounter with the God of the Bible, the living God. It may be through the testimony or the encouragement of a brother and sister or sister in Christ. It may be through just a small blessing in your life. It may be through preaching or teaching it may be through the sweetness of one of your children or grandchildren that god speaks to and encourages your heart when you're out in the wilderness don't discount or neglect the little things the small things god's whisper to encourage you and lift you up. And then fourthly, when you're in the wilderness, God will help by providing food and rest, by just his knowing that the journey's too great, by bringing you into a personal encounter with himself. But then finally, God helped by giving Elijah something to do. Look, if you would, at verses 13 through 16. And it was so... When Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle. He knew God was speaking to him in that still, small voice. He went out and stood at the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altar, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, what? Go. Return. Elijah, you ran away in fear. You ran out into the wilderness. You've been alone. You've despaired. You've asked me to take away your life. I've met with you. I've ministered to you. And now I'm sending you back to do the work I've called you to do. Now you say, does this take away from or contradict what God did and said previously? Pa Pastor, you said that Elijah needed food and rest. You said Elijah needed these things. He's been working hard. The work's been stressful, and, and the fruit, the reward's been little. Does this contradict all of that? No. Remember, weeks have passed at this point. Elijah fled 100 miles to Beersheba. He didn't do that in a day. He went another 200-plus miles to Horeb over the, the course of 40 days and nights. He's there at Mount Horeb for a time. 
God has met with him. God has ministered to him. God has strengthened him. Several weeks have passed. And so the time has come for Elijah to get up and get back to work. You should not feel guilty if a situation or circumstances necessitate you stepping back. There are times in life where I believe even God would have us to to step back a little, to take that time that we need to rest, to have a personal encounter with him. Remember, Jesus even told his disciples at times during their earthly ministry, come apart and rest. Let's go apart and rest for a while. There are times and situations when that is the best course. But listen, friends, it should never be permanent should never be permanent get the rest you need take the time you need to personally encounter god but then get up and go back to work when you're out in the wilderness god will meet you he will minister to you but then he's going to show up and he's going to give you something to do the wilderness demonstrates lacking direction lacking purpose solitude god will meet you and he'll minister to you but then he's he'll give you direction he'll give you a purpose He'll send you back to a place to do something for him. Maybe, maybe tonight you've experienced being in the wilderness. Maybe you'd even say, that's where I found myself. When you're there, God will come to you. He'll help you. He'll comfort you. He is Emmanuel, God with us, even in the wilderness. If you're a child of God, believe that God is with you. There even in the wilderness. That he is for you. He'll meet with you and he'll minister to you. Don't be discouraged. Don't despair even of life. Find hope, help, and healing in Emmanuel. God with us. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this evening? I'm thankful for examples like Elijah because it speaks to me even in situations that I've experienced personally. Maybe you too. But I'm thankful we don't just see a man who has experiences like we do and left there. But we see the example, the testimony of God meeting and ministering to the person who's there. And it encourages us. Maybe you found yourself in the wilderness over the course of this year, this month, or whatever it may be. You've lacked hope. You've despaired even of life. Maybe tonight God has spoken to you about who he is as Emmanuel, God with us.